Welcome to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast, the only podcast that teaches men the cognitive mastery and alpha mindset that it takes to become an influential and irresistible man of confidence. Here's your host, certified life coach and international man of mystery, Kevin Ayo. What's up, my brothers? Welcome back to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Ayo, and I'm going to begin a series on simplicity. I'll teach simplicity as it applies to food, as it applies to money, and as it applies to time over the course of the next few episodes, beginning next week. Because we humans, we make things so complex, and in our complexity, we get caught up in rumination and worry. This complexity and rumination are actually programming partners. In both the I Ching and our DNA, we have what's called programming partners. In the I Ching, we find programming partners in the opposing hexagrams. While in our DNA, the programming partners exist in various codon rings. And complexity and rumination are the low vibration versions of a pair of programming partners. They're the shadow partners, the survival partners. Because the more we ruminate, the more complex we make our lives, or at least the more complex we make our lives seem. And the more complex we make our lives, the more we ruminate and worry about how we are going to survive and make it to the next moment, whatever the next moment is, whether it's the next day, the next month, the next week, the next year, whatever. The gifts that come from these shadows, from these low vibrations, are simplicity and insight. So simplicity is the higher vibration of complexity, and insight is the higher vibration of rumination. And rumination is also called deafness. Now, I'm not talking about the deafness where there's an inability to hear the external world. I'm talking about deafness as of low vibration, the rumination, which makes it, which makes the mind so loud. We ruminate so loudly in our mind that we become deaf to our inner voice, to our insight. And brothers, if I could give you the essence of what I teach, both through this podcast as well as the students in the academy, number one, know that you have an inner voice, two, begin to listen to that inner voice, and number three, to put your complete trust in that inner voice, because trusting in the universe comes through trusting in yourself. It is through trusting yourself that you learn to trust in the all-oneness, Because the all oneness and you are really the same. It's the totality of you. You and the universe are one. And that's a concept that I'm not going to breach on this podcast episode. Ironically, but not surprisingly, my friends, we have been conditioned to get that backwards. Because we are taught to listen to everyone around us and accept them as authorities. While at the same time, we're taught to doubt our own intuition. Or sometimes even ignore our own inner voice altogether. We are taught that we can't be trusted and that there are those who know what's best for us, right? We are taught to conform to the masses, to majority opinion. We are taught to go along with the group or else we risk being excommunicated, right? We risk being rejected. We risk being canceled. That's the new word going around these days, right? This whole idea of cancel culture. We are taught to trust and rely upon the statements of external authorities, those who have been to universities, those who have been to colleges, those who have letters after their names, those who go into the positions of political industrial power. You know, we are told from a very, very young age to listen to our teachers and our parents because, quote, they know what's best for us, right? And the joke, of course, is that they were told the same by their parents and teachers who were told the same by their parents and teachers who were told the same by their parents and teachers who were told the same by their parents and teachers and so on and so on, such that everyone is basically just a sheep listening to the 
external authority shepherd. And that shepherd has many names and faces, brothers. The government, the healthcare industry, the doctors, the religions, big pharma, big tech, the FDA, the FAA, the FCC, and all the other federal organizations, the financial industry, and all their television personalities. Brothers, we even listen to social media influencers these days. When someone has 100,000 followers, all of a sudden they become an expert. Look, I got to tell you something, guys. I can buy 100,000 followers if I wanted to. It doesn't make me an expert at anything. Certainly not how to live your life. The problem is that we as a species have abdicated our power of insight. We're no longer empowered. We've abdicated our power of insight and we've silenced our inner voice. And it's not silent. We just stopped listening to it. We've chosen to listen to the doctors and the pharmaceutical companies tell us what our bodies need. And we've gotten sicker. We've chosen to listen to what the governments and the banks and the universities have told us about how to handle our money and run our businesses. And we've gotten poorer. We've listened to what the religions and spiritual gurus have told us on how to live more spiritual lives, and we've gone deeper into suffering. We've listened to everyone and everything except for the one person who knows what's best for us, and that's ourselves. Brothers, the work that I do is to help reverse this trend. Instead of doubting ourselves and trusting the external authorities, I want to offer that we doubt everything and everyone in the external spaces, and we trust ourselves. Turn it on its head 180 degrees. This is the quintessence of what I teach. Go within, listen to yourself, and trust what you hear. You will never lead yourself wrong as long as you are listening to yourself and not your conditioning. The conditioning is the not-self. That's the beta condition, right? So I call it the beta condition because it's your conditioning. Now, don't misunderstand me, right? Because I just talked last week about the telephone game, and I know that some of you might have some questions about this. Like, how do you know the difference between your true self, that insight, that strong, quiet inner voice, and the conditioning, which are all the stories that have been programmed into you through your childhood in the matrix? Well, brothers, this is the power of cognitive mastery and emotional ownership. This is where all the tools come into play, like thought downloads and the model of alignment and the mirror principle and the inversion principle and knowing the difference between a fact and a thought and watching your mind for belief systems that don't serve you. Last week, I mentioned the seed, the seed that starts it all. Most of us have planted the seed of I am not good enough or some variation of that. I don't deserve. I'm not worthy. And all of the roots and trees and bushes and branches and leaves and fruits and flowers of that seed is what the matrix is built on. It's built on all the comparison and the complexity and the consumerism and the chaos and the corruption and the conformity. All from this one little seed, the seed of fear, the seed of I am not good enough. So we begin with cognitive mastery and doing the thought downloads and the models of alignment. And this is so important. Brothers, this is not mechanical. Don't just like do a thought download and then move on, like jump into your day without paying any attention to it. Don't just do the models and then go back into your rumination. You have to practice these thoughts and interrupt the unintentional models. And this is all a part of the training you receive in the academy. It's a practice, brothers. It's an active meditation. Over time, you shift from I am not good enough to I am enough to I am perfect because this is your nature. Your nature is perfection. The universe is perfect and you are a microcosm of the universe. This inner truth that you are perfect has been robbed from you by the seed of fear, by the external authorities. And I'm not blaming, right? I'm not saying it's us against them, right? I'm not saying, oh, these bad, bad people, because they're just people too. They're fumbling around in their own fear. Do you think that a politician knows more about what's best for you than you do? 
They barely know what's best for themselves. Do you think that a priest or a reverend or a pastor knows more about your soul than you do? They're barely in touch with themselves. Do you think that a doctor or a nurse or a psychologist knows more about your body and your mind than you do? No, they don't. They're just people, just like you and me. You know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, as the saying goes. You know, they're dealing with their own fears, their own insecurities, their own I am not good enough, right? In their own mind. The illusion of superiority and inferiority creates an imbalance of power. And that is the cause of corruption. No one has any power over you and no one has any authority over you. This is the basis of empowerment. This is where we begin to reclaim your power. It begins with insight. It begins with remembering that you have an inner voice and uncovering that inner voice by removing all the junk created by a lifetime of conditioning. And speaking of programming partners, <laughs> corruption and chaos are shadow pairs. The gift or the higher vibration of corruption is equilibrium. And that's fascinating, right? Think about that. Corruption is born from the illusion of a power imbalance. And equilibrium is the higher vibration that reminds us that we are all equally powerful. The highest vibration of equilibrium is harmony, which is the global state of being that arises from equality. This is empowerment, to be in power. When we are all empowered, we are all equal. We are in equilibrium. Now, what happens when we are living in rumination? What happens when we doubt ourselves and listen to external authorities to tell us what to do? Like, what happens when we no longer trust ourselves? We worry. That's what we do. We worry, we ruminate, we fear, and we seek safety and security, which leads us further into conformity, which leads us further into corruption and further into complexity. Brothers, have you ever heard of the story of the emperor's new clothes? <laughs> I know it's a children's story, man, but I love this story because it teaches so many things, two of which are honesty and the problem with conformity. And ironically, both honesty and a lack of conformity are a part of listening to your inner self and living in the alpha state. Now, it's a bit of a long story, so I'm gonna see if I can make this as quick as possible, because I'm gonna tell you the story. Like, I love the story so much, because it's so amazing just to hear it, and just that, like, maybe you heard it when you were a kid, but to hear it when you're an adult is so powerful. And it goes like this, like, many, many years ago, there was an emperor so exceedingly fond of new clothes that he spent all his money on being well-dressed. He cared Nothing about reviewing his soldiers, going to the theater, or going for a ride in his carriage, except when he was showing off his new clothes. He had a coat for every hour of the day, and instead of saying as a, one, as a king might or as an emperor might about any other rulers, like the king's in council, here they always said the emperor's in his dressing room. <laughs> in the great city where he lived, life was always fun. Every day, many strangers came to town, and among them one day, two Strangers came, two swindlers. They let it be known that they were weavers, and they said they could weave the most magnificent fabrics imaginable. Not only were their colors and patterns uncommonly fine, but clothes made of this cloth had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was unfit for his office or who was unusually stupid. Now pay attention, because that's going to come back. The clothes had a wonderful way of becoming invisible to anyone who was either unfit for his office or unusually stupid. Those would be just the clothes for me, thought the emperor. If I wore them, I would be able to discover which men in my empire are unfit for their posts, and I could tell the wise men from the fools. Yes, I certainly must get some of this stuff woven for me right away. And he paid the two swindlers a large sum of money to start work at once. They set up their looms and pretended to weave, though there was nothing in their looms at all. All the finest silk and the purest old thread, which they demanded went right into their traveling bags while they worked the empty looms far into the night. 
I'd like to know how those weavers are getting on with the cloth, the emperor thought. But he felt slightly uncomfortable when he remembered that there were those who were unfit for their position and those men would not be able to see the fabric. Now, he didn't want to doubt himself, yet he thought he'd rather send someone else to see how things were going. Here comes doubt, right, brothers? Here comes doubt. I'm going to send somebody else to give me the information, to report back to me, because I'm doubting here. The whole town knew about the cloth's particular power, and all were impatient to find out how stupid their neighbors were. (laughs) So I'll send my honest old minister to the weavers, the emperor decided. He'll be the best to tell me how the material looks, because he's a sensible man, and no one does his duty better. So the honest old minister went to the room where the two swindlers sat, working away at their empty looms. Heaven help me, he thought as his eyes flew wide open. I can't see anything at all, but he didn't say that out loud. He just thought that. And both the swindlers begged him to be so kind as to come near and approve the excellent pattern, the beautiful colors. They pointed to the empty looms and the poor old minister stared as hard as he dared. He couldn't see anything because there was nothing to see. Heaven have mercy, he thought. Can it be that I'm a fool? I'd never have guessed it. And not a soul must know. Am I unfit to be the minister? I would never do to let on that I can't see the cloth. Don't hesitate to tell us what you think, said one of the weavers. Oh, it's beautiful. It's enchanting, the old minister peered through his spectacles. Such a pattern, what colors. I'll be sure to tell the emperor how delighted I am with it. We're pleased to hear that, the swindler said. They proceeded to name all the colors and explain the intricate pattern. The old minister paid the closest attention so that he could tell it all to the emperor, and he did. And the swindlers at once asked for more money, more silk and gold thread to get on with their weaving, but it all went into their pockets. Not a thread went into their looms, though they worked at their weaving as hard as ever. And the emperor presently sent another trustworthy official to see how the work progressed and how soon it would be ready. The same thing happened to him that happened to the minister. He looked and he looked, but as there was nothing to see in the looms, he couldn't see anything. Isn't it a beautiful piece of goods? The swindlers asked him as they displayed and described their imaginary pattern. I know I'm not stupid, the man thought, so it must be that I'm unworthy of my good office. That's strange. I mustn't let anyone find out, though. So he praised the material he did not see. He declared he was delighted with the beautiful colors and exquisite patterns. And to the emperor, he said, it held me spellbound. All the town was talking of this splendid cloth, and the emperor wanted to see it for himself while he was still in the looms attended by a band of chosen men, among whom were his two old trusted officials, the ones who had been to the weavers, he set out to see the beautiful pattern, the beautiful clothes. He found the swindlers weaving with might and main and without a thread in their looms. Magnificent, said the two officials, already duped. Just look, your majesty, what colors, what a design. They pointed to the empty looms, each supposing that the others could see the stuff. (laughs) What's this, thought the emperor. I can't see anything. This is terrible. Am I a fool? Am I unfit to be emperor? What a thing to happen to me of all people. Oh, it's very pretty, he said. It has my highest approval. And he nodded at the empty loom. Nothing could make him say that he couldn't see anything. One saw no more than another. But they all joined the emperor in exclaiming, oh, it's very pretty. And they advised him to wear clothes made of this wonderful cloth, especially for the great procession he was soon to lead. Magnificent, excellent, unsurpassed were 
cries from mouth to mouth, and everyone did his best to seem well-pleased. The emperor gave each of the swindlers a cross to wear in his buttonhole in the title of Sir Weaver. He knighted these men. (laughs) Before the procession, the swindlers sat up all night and burned more than six candles to show how busy they were finishing the emperor's new clothes. They pretended to take the cloth off the loom, They made cuts in the air with huge scissors, and at last they said, now the emperor's new clothes are ready for him. Then the emperor himself came with his noblest noblemen, and the swindlers each raised an arm as if they were holding something. They said, these are the trousers, here is the coat, and this is the mantle, naming each garment, and all of them are as light as a spider's web. One would almost think he had nothing on, but that's what makes them so fine. Exactly. All the noblemen agreed, though they could see nothing, for there was nothing to see. If your imperial majesty will condescend to take off your clothes, said the swindlers, we will help you on with the new ones here in front of the long mirror. The emperor undressed and the swindlers pretended to put his new clothes on one garment after another. They took him around the waist and seemed to be fastening something as the emperor turned around before the looking glass. How well your majesty's new clothes look. Aren't they becoming? He heard on all sides. That's pattern. That pattern is so beautiful, so perfect. These colors so suitable. It is a magnificent outfit. Then the minister of public processions announced your majesty's canopy is awaiting outside. Well, I'm supposed to be ready, the emperor said and turned again for one last look in the mirror. It is remarkable fit, isn't it? He seemed to regard his costume with the greatest interest. The noblemen who were to carry his train stooped low and reached for the floor as if they were picking up his mantle. Then they pretended to lift and hold it high. They didn't dare admit they had nothing to hold. So off went the emperor in procession under his splendid canopy. Everyone in the streets and the windows said, Oh, how fine are the emperor's new clothes. Don't they fit him to perfection and see his long train? Nobody would confess that he couldn't see anything, for that would prove him either unfit for his position or a fool. No costume the emperor had worn before was ever such a complete success. But he hasn't got anything on, (laughs) a little child said. Did you ever hear such innocent prattle? said the child's father. And one person whispered to another that the child had said, he hasn't anything on. A child says he hasn't anything on. But he hasn't got anything on, the whole town cried out at last, and the emperor shivered, for he suspected they were right. But he thought, procession has to go on. So he walked more proudly than ever, as his noblemen held high the train that wasn't there at all. Now, brothers, like I said, I love this story. I I was reading that, of course. You could tell I was reading. It was a little bit long, but, you know, having a background personally in philosophy and psychology, what Hans Christian Andersen has done with this story is such an amazing job, such an amazing job. Because once the truth was revealed, even when the truth comes out, people are still believing the lie. You see how the emperor, just the lie must go on. The procession must go on. So I'll just continue to pretend that I'm wearing clothes. The self-deception, I believe, in this story is clear. Self-deception is a process of denying or, or rationalizing away the relevance, the significance, or even the importance of opposing evidence and logical arguments. And it is the effect of fear. 
Self-deception is the effect of fear. It's the effect of conformity. It's the effect of self-doubt. It's the not-self that has been programmed from the seed of I am not good enough. Self-deception occurs very obviously in the story. The rationalizing away is seen when the characters convince themselves that they can see the suit that isn't there. The opposing evidence is the fact that they cannot actually see the suit. And this process of self-deception is used by virtually every character in the story in order to shelter themselves from the inconvenience of the truth, which I'll talk a little bit later about when I mention dealing with conformity and honesty. And the logical argument, of course, that the characters are purposely avoiding is presented at the end of the story by the young and innocent boy. You know, the boy breaks the others out of their self-deception with his proclamation that the emperor isn't wearing anything at all. (laughs) It's so wild, isn't it? I mean, especially these days, these days that we have these external authorities that are just telling us what to see. They're telling us what isn't there. They're telling us something that we are just meant to believe. We're meant to take it as truth, but we're just deceiving ourselves because we're going along with it. We're not empowered. We're not living through our own insight, through our own voice, our own inner truth. We're going along with the truth that's being given to us. It's being fed to us. It's being programmed within us. Brothers, in terms of honesty, which is a pure and effortless emanation of the alpha state, each character's choice of whether to admit that they can see the suit or not is different, right? Each character in the story, except for the young boy, of course, chooses to lie rather than tell the truth about not being able to see the suit. And the reasons they choose to be dishonest range from the social fear and anxiety that the suit dilemma presents, right? That is, if one cannot see the suit, then either they're stupid or they don't deserve a position in society. But there's also the reasons that are rooted in social status and conformity and self-judgment and judgment from others in trust and even individual morality. And in terms of individual morality, another philosophical aspect of honesty is determining what makes a lie. What is a lie? When we're living in complexity, when we're living in rumination, fear, corruption, and other low vibrations, we tend to rationalize lies. We either rationalize lies or we exaggerate them. When we think someone else is lying, we exaggerate. You know, basically a lie is to state something untrue with the intention that people will accept the statement as truth, right? So the trickster weavers told the initial lie at the beginning of the story. That's very clear. You know, they announced to everyone that they were making a magical suit when in fact they were not weaving anything at all. And then they tell the supplementary lie that the suit is invisible to stupid people, okay? So they're like really deceiving. That's purpose. They have intent. The other characters in the story believe these lies as the truth, causing them to lie to themselves to support the weaver's lies in order to save their own reputations. So it can be said that the weavers lied maliciously to seek personal gain and that the tricked characters lied out of fear and sought personal security. They didn't want to be rejected. They didn't want to be outcast. So the question of when is it appropriate to lie can arise from rumination and fear. It can can arise from worry and self-doubt. And one of the great teachers was very clear on this point. Due to the nature of the cause which is fear, as well as the effect, which is guilt, of a lie. The cause of a lie is fear, and the effect of a lie is guilt. And when his disciples asked him about fasting and praying and general behavior, the great teacher said only this, do not lie and do not do things you hate. It's very clear and very simple. 
Now, conformity is the act of matching attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors to what individuals perceive as normal to their society or social group. And again, this story does a good job of demonstrating the power of social pressures in influencing conformity. You know, when each character confronts his inability to see the suit, what is the first thing they come to? The first thing is the thought. They begin to fear for their reputation. Every character, including the emperor, changes their perception to match that of the dominant group in order to fit in with that group. And the dominant group is everyone who holds the false perception of being able to see the suit in this particular story. So the characters change their perception. They change their perception, their perspective to match that of the groups. And that's the conformity. This is what we have all been conditioned to do in our lives. This is what creates rumination. This is what creates corruption. This is why I love this story so much, because it does such an amazing job of illustrating the beta condition. We are taught to, quote, go along to get along. Have you heard that? Go along to get along. And that those who are fit for their posts are to be trusted and followed, right? The authorities trusted and followed even when they themselves have no idea what's going on. And I think the recent COVID experience is a pretty obvious proof of this concept in our recent reality. In general, there are two types of social influences that can cause people to conform, and both are spotted in the story. Again, Hans Christian Andersen, genius, right? Genius. The first is called informational influence, and the second is called normative influence, right? Informational social influence occurs when a human, when a person turns to the members of one's group to obtain accurate information, right? So you're not listening to yourself. That's where the accurate information is. It's within you, always within you, brother. But when you're not listening to yourself, when you're ruminating in your mind through your conditioning so loudly you can't hear your inner voice, you turn to the members of your group to get this information. This is informational social influence. And some of the characters in the story conform simply because they believe in the group's ability to determine what is true over their own perspective. The characters such as the emperor's ministers felt this influence because they suppose like, look, if all of my colleagues can see the suit, then surely it must exist. My inner voice is telling me there's nothing there. My inner voice is telling me this loom is empty. My inner voice is telling me that the emperor is naked. But if all of my colleagues are telling me that it's there, then it, it must be. And this is a direct example of the human conditioning around listening to others over the self. And it creates a level of self-doubt around what is best for you, around what is best for you as the individual. And a lot of what we do in the academy is to undo this type of conditioning. It's to reverse this conditioning. So you begin to listen to yourself. Now, normative social influence occurs when one conforms in order to be liked or accepted by group members. And it usually results in public compliance, doing or saying something without actually believing in it. <laughs> and I just mentioned COVID. I could mention it again, but I think you guys can see it. I, I know you guys can see it. Practically every character in the story felt this pressure because they didn't want to cause trouble within the group. So they chose to accept the suit's public perception, even if they believe differently, so that they would not appear as an outsider, so that they would not be rejected, so that they would not be excommunicated, so that they would not be, quote-unquote, cancel-cultured, right? And this influence was propelled even further in the story because of the added condition that not being able to see the suit made you inadequate in your peers' eyes. Again, this comes from the seed of I am not good enough. 
It is based on the fear of rejection and the desire to be liked by others over loving yourself. The deeper you move through the spiritual path I offer in the academy, the more you will unravel this aspect of your original seed. It's a lie in your mind, brother. The seed planted in early childhood, maybe even before its inception. There's just this little sentence that is causing all of your pain. And brothers, what we're really dealing here is that original inception, combined with the confirmation bias of the resulting effect. We as humans have been planted with the seed of I am not good enough, and that creates the matrix that we all experience as a result. And that result then shapes our circumstances in such a way that we suffer from the subconscious belief system that is reflected back as feedback from our outer experience. You know, to put it in terms of quantum physics, and I hope I don't lose you guys with this, <laughs> to put it in terms of quantum physics, you know, we've been programmed to see the world as a specific particle from the collapsed wave of potential, right? If you guys know about the wave particle duality, right? Like when you're not looking at it, it's a wave of potential. When you look at it, it becomes a particle. It collapses down and becomes observable, observed. And in order for you to, to let go of that version of reality, in order for you to let go of the particle, the seed of I am not good enough, you have to let go of that observation. You have to let go of what you're seeing, of what you're experiencing in your world. You have to let go of the way you observe your outer so that that particle is released back into its wave function. And from there, you are back in your alpha state. The alpha is the wave and the beta is the particle. And right now you're living through the beta condition. Once you return to your alpha state, you will have the ability to choose how you want to collapse the wave into the particle. So you'll still be engaging with the beta, right? You have to engage with your ego. There is the ego death where you just feel oneness, where you're back in the state of oneness, of pure wave. But to function as a human being, we have to engage with our ego. So you'll still be engaging with the beta, which is a fraction of the whole. But the difference is you will be doing it from your alpha state, which is the state of conscious choice, the state of your true self, which is led by your inner voice, not the conditioning of rumination. Again, brothers, the quintessence of this work is to know you have an inner voice, to listen to that inner voice, and to put your full unwavering trust in that inner voice. That inner voice, your inner voice, is your connection to the wave. It's your connection to the alpha. It's your connection to the divine oneness. Everything else is, is a distraction. Everything else is rumination. It's conditioning, fear, complexity, conformity. It's, it's the matrix. Brothers, you have to remember this. You have to experience this. Well, you don't have to, but that's why you're here. Certainly you don't have to. You can continue to live in your conditioning. But you are here to remember this. You're here to experience this. You're here to embody this. This is empowerment. <laughs> this is how you become an empowered man, an alpha man. It's by remembering this, by remembering and listening to you, to yourself, to your connection with source. In the academy, there are all kinds of tools around mind management and emotional ownership because we do this to filter out the weeds. We have to cut down the weeds. We have to cut back the leaves, the bushes, the trees, the branches. We have to get to the seed We've got to get to that seed, that I am statement. And once you've done the work, you can hear. You can hear that strong, quiet inner voice. And then you will have everything you need to live the life of your dreams. Don't trust me. Trust yourself. Elevate your alpha. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. If you enjoy what you've heard and want even more, sign up for Unleash Your Alpha, your guide to shifting to the alpha mindset at thealphamalecoach.com slash unleash. <laughs>